0: Hi everybody, and welcome to The Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating, with your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us, and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe.
1: I'm obsessed with excellence. I'm obsessed with improving. But that uniqueness doesn't mean that it's positive all the time because it has its downsides that I've just said I've made lots of mistakes where um, I haven't got the balance right between work and home because of this desire to, and the commitment that I have to my job and myself. Um, And now what I'm trying to do is um, educate and help support my team that they don't make the same mistakes that I did.
0: Before we introduce today's guest, we would like to thank all of our listeners for their support today. This episode is the 50th of the Golders Podcast and what a journey it's been so far. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would love to hear your feedback and we'd greatly appreciate it if you would share it with your peers. Now, for the 50th episode, we do have a brilliant interview for you. Today's guest is a Premier League winner and former England international who is now at the helm of in one of the world's leading academies We're excited to welcome Jason Wilcox Academy Manager at Manchester City Football Club onto the Golders podcast today Jason talks about his journey so far what's important to him how he continues to learn and grow and much more Again, if you are enjoying the podcast and you do enjoy this episode please share your feedback, rate and review Thank you guys enjoy. Jason, welcome and thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Uh, It's my pleasure. So to us, gold dust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does gold dust mean to you?
1: Yeah, I don't think you can articulate it much better than that. I mean, when I think about gold dust and I think about the term, uh, that's gold dust. normally comes after somebody is given something which has been inspirational for when I say it's to me personally but to other people it'll be to to them personally so when I hear a statement or I go to a um, listen to somebody talk or I see something I it's normally off the back of something which is inspirational where I say that is gold dust so it's a small part of information that goes into my rucksack, so to speak, that I will then use uh, in whatever context I want to use it in.
2: Thank you for that, Sharon. When you joined Man City's Academy in 2012, what was your first role at the club? What were you doing at that time?
1: So my first role, I I went there as a volunteer. So um, Scott Sellers, who was a previous teammate, uh, was the head of coaching at the time. And Um, I just went in there as a volunteer worked every day without pay just gaining knowledge gaining insight and and almost using it as a process for me that I wanted to understand whether I wanted to work in youth seniors Um, and that lasted for a year so I got given kit and I just worked in the morning with with the older with the professional development phase and then into the evening with the with the With the babies if you like so an experience that i really enjoyed i've got two i've got four children two boys two girls and my eldest who's 30 now um i was looking after his grassroots team as well so i was coaching all the time twice a week with uh and for anybody who's coached in grassroots that's a great foundation for anything if you can coach in grassroots you can coach anywhere i think so changing the sessions, adapting the sessions, not knowing how many numbers you've got, not having the facility. But I did it because it, you know, I was doing it with my son. And then when my youngest son came along, I did the same again. So I found myself when I got a full-time role at City, going to work, going to grassroots in the morning, putting the respect barriers up, moving the goals, underneath my Man, uh, our Man City tracksuit underneath, and then going, going to work and, and working. And I, and, I, and I saw it as work, but you've got to love it. It's a vocation. It's not work. It's something we enjoy. We all enjoy it when we're around the, the youth development area of helping people and trying to make a difference.
0: Jason, I think it's great. Look, somebody like yourself with the experiences you've had as a player to then step in and volunteer for a year. Um and you hear this you hear this thing about the process and not being in a rush and really having to learn the trade. And for someone like yourself, and there'll be people that are listening on, I I think that's fantastic to have someone with the experiences to work with the people that you've worked with to then go, I'm gonna go in and volunteer, and even with the grassroots is is excellent. Now from there, you mentioned your full-time role at City. Now, when, Guardiola, when Pep Guardiola joined the club in 2016, you were promoted to Academy Head of Coaching and have since taken on your current role now as Academy Manager. If you had to explain what it is you do, how would you describe it? That's a big question. My, jo- my,
1: job, my job is to lead. But to lead, I have to have people who follow And um, when I first got the role on an interim basis, they didn't follow me because I was good at the job or you know I was an expert in leadership. They followed me initially because I feel I'm a a good person and I've always given time for them, whether I've been coaching at the 13s, 18s, whatever it is, or, or technical director, I've always been somebody that has been always giving up my time um always there for anybody who needs support and help so but my job my job as i've grown into the role and i got given the role my job is a big one but it primarily i've got to without going over leadership jargon i've got to set the vision and i've got to articulate the vision and i've got to get the 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 right people on the bus who are gonna help me with that because i can't do it on my own you know i'm very much I always say, I have a privilege of talking about the Academy, but it's the people on the ground, my immediate team, the team bid all them, that they're the ones who, the ones who are doing all the work on the ground. And what I do is I steer the ship, I manage a big budget. I've moved from being a technical loose term expert into a transition into a leadership role. And I've got to inspire and influence and motivate and make sure that the ship stays in, on the, right, in the right direction. So I'm very much a, a captain of a ship, I think, if you want to use that analogy. But leadership for me is, a, is an extremely difficult job, and it's not for everybody. And everybody thinks that they can move into leadership either for, by the attraction of pay or through the fact that they're just very, very good at their job. And what I'm doing now is I'm looking at the academy and, and actually assessing all our staff and actually have we got leaders in leadership roles? Have we got potential leaders in leadership roles that need, need help? But it's a, it's a huge challenge and one that, I, one that I love, one that I get up for in the morning. And I f- when I spoke to you, Keith, previously, the, re- the reason why I'm extremely lucky is because I'm leading in a industry that I love and I'm passionate about. And I've also got opportunity and support through support of the board. That gave me everything I need to, to try and make this, our academy a success. But as I say, it's, it's, all about, it's all about the people. And this takes time to get the right people on the bus and retain the right people is a, is a, is a challenge and one that I think every leader is inspired by?
2: Leadership is very, it's very evident in the conversation that we have had, Jason, over the last couple of weeks or so and that word keeps popping up quite frequently it's something that you have embraced in leading a ship or taking people on a bus and going on a journey with them now we'll delve a little bit deeper in around that you're undoubtedly working with and nurturing some of the best talent players. There's no doubt about that in in the country, if not the world. But what needs to be done for you to keep nudging the quality of your product forward to continue to produce players who can play in Champions League finals and to challenge for place in the first team? What is it that needs to be done? from your perspective, and equally your staff, for, for this footprint to continue?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we, very much, we very much view our academy as almost a school or a university. So, but in order, in order for us to be successful, we need to know what we're going to be judged on. We are ultimately being judged on the production of elite talent or elite players that are going to supplement the game worldwide but what's great for me is the board also value all the off pitch support when you're taking an under nine all the all the way through the teenage years and adolescence and that's a that's a really important job that we have we have the we have the boys in our control or in our care i should say for a long periods of time. And it's really important that the parents feel like they're dropping their sons off um, with family members, that they have absolute trust that we care about their children like we care about our own. So to keep nudging it along, we have to focus on what counts. And when doing that, we have to start with the end in mind. So what does, what does a Champions League player look like Then we have to go right back to the start and try to put this in some sort of a programme that by the time they get to 17, 18, they're going to be, they've got the toolbox ready. And they've got the toolbox ready on pitch and they've got the toolbox ready off pitch. Because there's one thing for certain. If we send a player up to our first team manager and he's disrespectful or he's bad-mannered or he's uh, not a team player very rarely will really get a second opportunity because they're just, they're, he hasn't got time. And most first-team managers are looking for good people. In any industry, I think if you speak to any, any leaders, they give opportunity to good people, uh, authentic people who are themselves and who just want to better themselves and be better than they were the day before. And that's what we're trying to generate. And it's a cultural thing, but the culture is developed by our, by our people. It's developed by our, the families. It's developed by so many, everybody who, who has contact with our academy. And, th- and the culture is something that you have to work on every day. There'll never be a day when we don't work on that. That's supremely important.
0: You mentioned it a few times now, you talked about the bus, getting the right people on the bus. And the, the people that come on the bus with you, those staff are in a position where they can inspire the young boys that come into your academy. And in turn as well, you're in a position where i I have no doubt you'll be inspiring your staff and showing them what it is you want, but who inspires you and who are you accountable to? Um. Ultimately, my, my role, I'm,
1: account- I'm accountable to, to the board at Man City. If you layer that down, Cheeky, who's the director of football, is my direct line manager. But I think I hold myself accountable to everybody who I have in, my, in the academy, who I meet. you know, I've got to make sure that I am the same guy every day when I walk through, drive through the gates, I'm the same person. So I hold myself accountable to everybody. So who am I inspired by? I'm inspired by. I'm inspired by so many people, um, and I can be inspired by a conversation with a nine-year-old, or I can be inspired by a conversation with Cheeky, or conversation um, with a business leader. Um, but I think you can take something out of everybody and enjoy. The inspiration that people give you, like say whether that's a nine-year-old and he's learning something new for the first time and he cracks it, that's inspirational. When I get a member of staff being able to deliver something or I see the growth in a member of staff, I find that inspirational as well. And then my own learning, I get inspired by going searching for this gold dust. You have to search for this gold dust. The more experience you get, the further up you go in hierarchy the more courses you go on the more books you read the gold dust is less it's more it's sparse so you've got to but you've got to keep attending them because there will be some elements of gold dust wherever you are whether that, like say whether that's uh, listening to somebody speak about in football in sport or in business um, I think you can take from, from anyone, if you're a good listener. Um, probably one of my development areas would be to be a better listener. I think somebody once said to me, I need to be brutally simplistic. It was a guy called Kevin Roberts, a, a mentor, a, a really good friend, took me under his wing. He said, you need to get better at listening. You don't learn anything when you're speaking so i've taken that on and trying to now just be a, a better listener with no distractions you know the phone being primarily the the reason is we're all we're all looking at that mobile phone there's text messages there's whatsapp messages there's emails coming through but you need to be fully focused and fully present whenever you're speaking to to anybody and
0: that that is difficult in in modern day world i think i'm i'm going to go back to something you said Earlier on in that answer, so you talked about being the same person that goes through the front doors every day. And we've spoke about it with players that most players need three things. They want to know that you care for them, which you've already touched on. And having these players that come into the environment and that they're being dropped off with family members. They want to know that you can help them and that they can learn from you. And then, they want to know that they can trust you. And I think the same thing applies with staff and the trust element, I believe comes from consistency in behavior, the consistency in the way that you are with people. And if one day you come in and you've got a big smile on your face and you're bubbly and the next day you're not talking to anybody, it sends somewhat of a message, but also in doing what you say and, um, and being consistent with that, and I, I just wanted to touch on it because it was something in that moment that you said that you want to be very, you want to be consistent in the way that you behave, day in day out with your staff members, and that I think it shows in actions, especially. And it's it's quite telling that you've mentioned those kind of things a few times now. So I just wanted to jump back. I know my dad was going to jump in, but I wanted to jump in and just just share that because it it really did stand out to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, David, but not only am I the same person that drives through the gates every day, I'm the same person that leaves the office every day saying goodbye and and actually we all have bad days. You know, we have to make big decisions. We have to, not everybody agrees with our decisions. You know, it's a lonely job, leadership. But no one, no one, not one of my team, on the very rare occasion they might, but will know that I'm having a bad day. You know, we've got families that we have to, they've got their own issues and we have to support them, but no one in work would know that I'm having a bad day. And that's something that I try and take, you know, when I drive through the gates, um, they see the same person. And when I'm leaving, they see the same person. And this trust that you talk about, David, This gets built up. You have to earn that. And there's a book called The Four Agreements, and it's the four agreements are always try your best, don't take things personally, never assume, and be impeccable with your word. And if you live by that, those four agreements, you won't go far wrong, because if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Um, And if I don't do it, I, I get stressed about it. If I'm not able to be there at a certain time or I'm not able to do something, it plays on my mind because that's just something that is innate in my character. And what I've tried to do is, I think great leaders create great teams and the people who I hire or around me or who they hire simultaneously and this cascading down It's diverse, so their talents are diverse, their experiences are diverse, but there's one thing that's consistent, is character and being a good person. And when you have got a culture of strong character, you inevitably create this sense of a circle of safety and a trusted environment where people can put their head above the parapet and come out with a new idea without the fear of being ridiculed or losing a job. This takes a lot of, a lot of time, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of focus. It just doesn't happen right now. Obviously, we're coming, we're coming out of a pandemic. And the biggest ticket item on my list is how are we going to re-engage the academy staff with our purpose and how are we how going to reconnect and collaborate across all different departments when we've when we've been sort of online or we've been missing each other you pass each other in the corridor so how how are we going to make build these meaningful relationships again which are going to enable the academy to grow onto the next level and that's something that is number one priority for me because the team that i have around me who i trust i trust them immeasurably um it's a great place for me to be that I've got such a team around me that um, not only are they talented, but they're also trustworthy. But they're all, by, being, by creating this circle, they disagree with me. They challenge me, my thinking. I'm uh, not afraid to put their hand up and challenge ideas amongst themselves. That's an elite environment. That's a high-performing environment, in my eyes.
2: Well, when you look at the innate qualities that you possess, Jason, you are who you are. You've spoken about authenticity and consistency, and then you communicate and share what you'd like in terms of qualities around your staff. When we think about yourself, what areas of your position do you believe to be the- one where you're extremely efficient at. We speak about the pandemic and we're coming out of that now. What does it look like going forward? But currently, because of the space that we're in, what are you very good at?
1: Yeah. Um, the oh, when, when, I'm, when you've got to talk about yourself in terms of what you're good at, it's always difficult because, you know, I'd like to think that I'm a humble person, Humility is one of my characteristics, so, and it's one of the, it's something that is ingrained in the academy now. Other people talk about us, what we do, how we do it, which is the most important thing. Um, actually, why we do it is the most important thing. But um, my staff might, my team might disagree. But I think what I'm good at, I've got a natural. I've got, I lean naturally towards the football, so understanding our methodology, understanding the cycle from, uh, of development from nines to 23s is, is my obvious strength. But I have, I've got two heads of coaching now that it's their job to make sure our programme is implemented. So I'm now trying to leave them to it with an will guide and support and things and, and be alongside them, but the football side is, is what I'm good at, Keith. What I'm trying to excel at is leadership and understanding more around running a business. And to do that, I've had to soul search. I've had to do a, you know, I've had to go on a journey from transitioning out of being somebody that is responsible for the results to now being responsible for somebody else who's responsible for the results. And that is, I think, a challenge for all leaders when they transition out. But I think football is my, my strength, but I also think um, the ability to make decisions when sometimes others are not able to would also be, a, be, be something that I feel I'm improving at. When I'm making a decision, that's what inspires me about leadership. You know what, what, you know, what makes me a different leader than somebody else? And ultimately, there are so many variables, but I think the best leaders are the ones that make the best decisions.
0: If you had to decide then between being world, a world-class or world-leading academy, what would be your preference and why?
1: Um, yeah, world-leading. World-leading or every time... David, and the reason being that world leading is number one, world class. You're amongst a group. So I think we've gone through this journey. When I first took the job, we want to be world class. We want to be world class. The more you think about it, the more I talk to people and they challenge my thinking. Ultimately, um, world leading is something that inspires me being number one. Now, what does that mean? How, how do we measure it? But I'm also now rewriting and thinking about our academy purpose. And, and it's to not only to be revered as the world's number one academy in football, but I would say revered as the world's number one academy in sport. What a, a, an amazing aspirational dream that everybody, all the staff come into work, knowing why we come into work. And it's, to, it's because we're reaching for the stars. I, th- I think sometimes you can set yourself a target that you can achieve. But with this aspirational dream, I don't think you ever achieve it. You've just got to keep aspiring to, to be that. So world leading every time, David.
2: Now, world leading that is high-performing. But what traits... Do your high-performing members of staff possess? What qualities are you looking for from them both on and off the pitch? You part mentioned what you want from them off the pitch in terms of challenging you in a productive way, having an opinion, being strong, charactered. What do they possess when they're on the pitch?
1: I think, you, I think we've got to get the balance right between being caring and demanding. So... But, it, but you, you can't be demanding without being caring and you can't just be caring and then not, have it, not be demanding on the pitch. So I think, I always think that the best coaches are the best teachers. They articulate, it's not just about giving information to players, it's about articulating to them how it will benefit them and providing context. And now what I see is just... Not in, not in our academy, but I see it out there. I see internet coaches and I see people scribbling notes down and videoing. And, but the strength of a coach is understanding why you're doing something. Because if you don't understand why you're doing something and where it fits in your game model, how, how can you articulate it to a young child? So for me, the best coaches are the ones that, show patience they demand high standards but also they're able to storytell and they're able to visualize and they're able to spark the child's imagination and visualizing where it's going to happen on the pitch we've all done it we've all been on the we've all been on in the back garden thinking we're john barnes or chris waddle or whoever all successful players, I think, are visualised being someone else and they visualise being someone else or visualise themselves being in a situation where they're in a World Cup final or an FA Cup final. So creating this rapport, creating this trust that we keep going back to, there are, there are coaches with a wealth of knowledge but who just can't connect with people. They just just can't, they cannot educate properly. They're not not got the right level of teaching. And somebody could have less knowledge, but have this rapport, this relationship, and they will actually get more out of the child than somebody who's a master coach with no personal qualities.
0: In my view, that's only my view. When you're observing... Your staff, and and maybe not even your staff, Jason. Maybe if you're observing other coaches, too. What lets you know that there is something special in your midst? What do they possess? What do they do that makes you know that they have got something different, something special?
1: Yeah, it's it's a difficult question, that David, because it's um, when I see it, I know it. But I need to think more about it. I think when I see coaches with energy, passion, when I see coaches who have edge, when I see coaches that have a fantastic way of motivating and inspiring young children, I'm only talking about coaches now. Um, I see it. It's there. It's instant. The problem is when you are interviewing through a screen, you don't quite see all these, all these characteristics. But I think seeing people who are open-minded, the curiosity, the questions that, if I ask a question, the six questions that come from that. There are so many qualities that you, know, you see, but I think it's, it's hard to articulate if I'm being honest but I think all those characteristics that I've just explained need to be evident. I need to see passion and enthusiasm edge. I need to see emotion. I need to see knowledge. I need to see the ability to challenge thought, to question the, asking the right questions, not being an egomaniac. I don't think it works. It's all about me. I think it's, we've got to try and the teacher that puts the children before themselves every time, Is the guy for me or the lady for me. How
0: do you switch off? Look, there's a job that is, there's obviously pressure involved in terms of developing these young boys that come in. How do you switch off? What do you do?
1: Yeah, if you spoke to my wife, she'd say I'd never switch off. So that's the, so, but I have to try. I switch off by, I switch off by walking my dog that's when i switch off that's when but but i'm not switching off i'm thinking about the next thing i'm thinking about in a relaxed mode of thinking and i actually enjoy that time on my own where i'm able to think and reflect so i don't i don't think i ever completely switch off if i'm really honest i would be lying if if i said that but what i do ha- what i do try and find is I try and find spaces where I'm able to relax whilst thinking. And that is walking my dog, spending time with my family and gardening. Gardening. I love gardening. I like being outside. I like being creative and my creativity in the garden, I think is where I get my creativity in in work, thinking about new ideas, the way forward. So yeah, I probably never quite switch off, uh, even on holiday reading something, probably drive, drive my kids and my wife nuts, to be honest.
2: I can understand where you can chill when you've got walking around with a dog. Having had a young friend for many years, quite passive, but tra- it's quite tranquil. When you're working with, Staff and you're working with players, we all have our own unique quality. And to actually develop that quality, Jason, for your staff, what helpful tips can you share with us to actually help them and the listeners to realize their own uniqueness. Um. I think constant, gaining
1: constant feedback, constant self-reflection is something that I do every day. So self-reflection, looking for feedback. And when you're looking for this uniqueness, you've got to find your passion, I think, first. You've got to, you've got to find out what you love doing. And what, when you get up in the morning, like, why are you getting up in the morning? What makes, what, what makes your day better than it was the day before? And, you know, what really fl- sparks your energy and your enthusiasm? What is it? Is it sport? Is it business? Is it gardening? Is it what, whatever it is? If you have a passion and you go into that industry, You've got a fantastic chance of being good at it if you've got the capacity to, to learn and the ability. But this uniqueness, Keith, is, is I, I, don't know whether, I don't know whether I've got any uniqueness. I don't know. What I, what I have got is a thirst to improve. That's my, I say that's my uniqueness. Whatever, whatever I would be doing, I would want to be number one. Whether that's mowing the grass and looking at your stripes on your lawn and the, the, they're not, they've got the same width and the grass is not growing, or whether it's being a school teacher and being the best possible school teacher and being revered. That, I think that's the uniqueness in me that, you know, if you're asking me for one thing, I, I, I'm obsessed with excellence, I'm obsessed with improving. But that uniqueness doesn't mean that it's positive all the time because it it has its downsides that I've just said I've made lots of mistakes where um, I haven't got the balance right between work and home because of this desire to and the commitment that I have to my job and myself. And now what I'm trying to do is um, educate and help support my team that they don't make the same mistakes that I did. Going to work when my daughter's playing a first netball match or going to work when my son's in a nativity. This, this for me now, if my staff s- start making these decisions, it's unacceptable. They have to, go on, they, they have to be... Part of their family life. They, ha- you know, they're going to be better in work if they attend these events because these events don't come around again. Um, I also don't want to come across as though I've missed every every uh, family event. But my passion, enthusiasm, I-, I got it. I've got it wrong at times, if I'm honest. But like I say, my job is to now discuss the mistakes that I've made with my team and explain the reasons why I don't think they should make the same mistakes as me.
0: There's a, there's a quote, I've, I think I've said it in a couple of podcasts. We don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. And your reflection on the experiences that you had, now passing them on to staff that are fortunate to be in your presence, will then help them too. To move on, to get more clarity around the messages we convey, share some thoughts around the benefits of simplification.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is an area for me to, that I need to improve because when you are talking and storytelling, the key elements of what you're trying to portray get missed. So I think in terms of being brutally simplistic and trying to keep things um, to the point and short, people taking the information, staff taking in the information so much easier than listening to a six minute speech where there are some fantastic bits of gold dust, but they go missed. People miss them. They switch off. So the simple messaging articulated in a really clever way is, that is something that I'm focusing on myself. It's part of my own development plan. Because when you're passionate about something, you can easily ramble, easily. And the messages, the messages get missed.
2: Now, when you look at areas of academy management, Jason, going forward, What do you believe the future academy manager will need to develop?
1: Yeah, I think one of the the things that I think is really important for academy directors or managers moving forward is they need to have breadth. They're going to need to have breadth. It's no... Everybody who's in this role has got a different background and it could be from football, could be from education or it could be from operations. Those are the three main strands of how you land in this job but if you are closed-minded and you just think i'm a football guy and i don't care about the rest i don't think you'll be as good as you possibly could be i think you don't need an uh, i don't think you need a level of expertise in the other bits because that's what you have your team for but you have to have a level of understanding that you don't get blindsided at any, at any point. And I enjoy learning about the other elements of the academy business. I oversee the academy operation in terms of football recruitment, medicines so or performance services and operations, but I don't want to get involved in writing risk assessments. One, I'm not good at it. Two, I have no passion for it. And three, there are other people that are better and are passionate about it. So I have a fantastic director of operations, Charlotte, and she leads on all the operational elements, logistics. I also have two heads of coaching, Stephen Torpy and Glenn Van two very different people. One works at 9s to 14s and Stephen works, so Glen works at 9s to 14s, Stephen works at 15s to 23s. They, Both have different skill sets and both, I've got challenges in different ways. I have Mark Bitcon, who's head of performance services, so everything physiotherapy, psychology, performance analysis. And I have Joe Shields, who's head of recruitment and talent management. I have Trevor, who's head of junior recruitment, junior academy and local recruitment. So I've got a fantastic team, I've got a f- fantastic team underneath them, um, but my job, sorry, moving forward, Keith, I think if, they, if academy managers don't have breadth and they don't have leadership skills, then there are a lot of people underneath who are developing these skills. And ultimately, I just don't think there's got, you've got longevity. And I, just, I, don't think that I, I don't think I would be successful if I didn't continue to gain my knowledge in all the areas, but my leadership and the way I lead and developing a culture, those are the elements that I'm focusing on, even though my, even though my strength is, is obviously football.
0: It's inevitable at a point that you will retire or you will leave the club. When that time arrives... What do you want your legacy to be?
1: Yeah, I, I want to be seen as a, as a leader that always took the time, who was consistent, always took the time out to help, was both caring and demanding, and actually left the academy in an unbelievable state for the next custodian, because that's all I am. That's all we all are in the academy. We've got to leave it in a, better, in a better state. But I'm, the reason why I get up in the morning, David, is because I want to leave footprints in the sand. I want our academy to be trailblazing. I want our academy to be world-leading on and off the pitch. I want our academy to be the academy of choice. You know, We choose players, we scout players, but we want to be the academy of choice. There's a Co- collective element in terms of what do I want to leave behind in terms of the academy, but personally would be, like I say, those being a leader who, who led, who was never afraid to make a decision, who cared about his people, who cared about his staff, because they're the ones that are the most important. I'm extremely privileged to lead them. I want them to say I was privileged to be led by him. You know, this is ultimately we, our job as leaders is to try and help the next leaders create the great. You know, great leaders create the next leaders. By no means am I saying I'm a great leader, but I want to be classed as one, one day. And you don't get there by just sitting on your backside, thinking you are one. You have to. You have to get out there and you have to do it and you have to challenge yourself and you have to be vulnerable because there's no magic pill to being a great leader. You've got to, like you say, you've got to get out there and you've got to go and search for knowledge and you've got to know what great is. Keith, me and you spoke about this and we spoke about it, David, a little bit earlier around. I think all successful players visualise but they visualise their idols. They want to be their idols. So they know what great looks like. So young players know what great looks like. They're seeing it, they're seeing it on the TV, they're seeing it in stadiums. In leadership, it's a lot more difficult because the great leaders are up to the necks in it leading. So they haven't got time. They haven't got time to start looking for who are the next leaders. The next leaders have to go and keep banging on the door of the great leaders and we have to know what great looks like and you might knock on 100 doors and see one great leader or somebody that inspires you but you have to keep going and you have to keep knocking on everybody's door because they're not going to come to you and that's something that I'm trying to take forward. Everybody's busy. Everybody's Everybody's doing their thing. Everybody's passionate about winning, developing a winning culture, developing a winning brand. That's what the great leaders do. They're not looking back out of the windscreen, uh, out of the rear windshield and looking for potential next leaders. They're just not doing it. So it's up to us. We've got to mither the life out of them. And when we get old of them, squeeze them like a sponge for everything they've got and not let go. And that's something that for the leaders that I've encountered, they will know which ones they are that I'm squeezing them like a lemon, not a sponge. I'm the sponge, they're the lemon.
2: Yes, and this has been extremely beneficial and equally very useful because of the candor very evident you're very honest and extremely authentic in doing what you do so i thank you on behalf of david and myself and everyone and anyone that actually listens to this particular episode so thank you it's my pleasure uh,
0: keith and david uh... Thanks for tuning in to The Goldust Podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com